Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Anita Brightley-Hodges, founder and chairman of Family Business Place, an advisory service that helps businesses transition to the next generation. Anita, hello. Hello there. Lovely to be on the show. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, We might as well (laughs) dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Leader means to me, I guess I've just put some words together, passion, grit, resilience, determination, hard work, and with a strategic focus. But coupled with that, particularly I think now in this day and age, and because of my own experience, empathy, empowering the people around me to do the best they can and give them the sort of a courage to do that and make decisions, decision-making, along with kindness. I think kindness is such a an important part of the way we live and run our businesses. And also, I think, vulnerability, which I think is so attractive in leaders because if you're showing your vulnerability, then people can engage with you. So they're really the main, the main core values that I hold um, as far as being a leader is concerned. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? I think um, I'm a creative being at heart. So creativity, creative thinking, um, making sure that everything we do is beautiful and adding something to just to make life in work and at home and around my community being sort of just a, a better place to be. So that's, that's the first thing, my leadership skills. Um, in terms of leadership for me, it's also about giving back. So as part of our DNA and our business, giving back through our um, charitable fundraising. I trek around the world to raise money for charities. I volunteer um, with young people to help them get back into work. And, you know, there's so many other things I do. I think giving back, it releases those um, dopamines, doesn't it? You know, and, and I think it sort of um, really lifts you, lifts your spirits, particularly when you're actually at a, a low time. So giving back is really, really important. The other is I love community and I love being with a team and I my style really is connecting people so they can help each other. And in the family business space, that is so important because it's so lonely when you are heading up a family business. So anything that I can do where my life skills, my experience can um, just bring about some change or to help make, you know, make running a business more informative, better, smoother, whatever. That's really my, my sort of style, really. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you started out your working life. Were there any particular individuals or circumstances that shaped the way that you lead today? Oh, for sure, for sure. I think the first person is my mother, because I'm um, my mother was a, a, a refugee from China to Hong Kong, and then an immigrant from Hong Kong after marrying my father to <laughs> to um, to England. And of course, you know that harrowing experience of life um, that really I think that's that's infected me and my sister. You know, because that's why we're so resilient. And education absolutely the most important thing for us. So, um, and of course, a good education opens so many more doors. So definitely my mother. My father, because he really um, epitomized for me adventure. 
you know, he was always up for doing, you know, for going on an adventure, sporting or traveling, whatever it is. So I think those two are a big influence in my, my leadership, well, my life and, and, and in turn my leadership style. The other is my art teacher, you know, um, inspired me hugely when I thought I was doing something I wanted to do and realized actually it wasn't for me. And she really inspired me to follow a career um, with my gift. And I think that is something that's really, particularly with the kids that I work with now, I say dream big, follow your dreams, and then the career will come from that, definitely. And then in business, um, I've been, you know, I've been fortunate to have wonderful people around me that have helped my business, for sure. Um, and I've met the most amazing people since, um, you know, CEOs that have gone to businesses to businesses and taken me with them to help them in a change. I've had the fortune of working for some fantastic brands where where those leaders have believed in my ability. So I think the people that I surrounded myself or I guess you always say you get the clients you deserve, don't you? And mm. I think that um, I, that's certainly something that I've been very, very fortunate and blessed with. I've had the most amazing because, you know, this is my second business. I had a, I had a previous business before the one I'm running now. But um, really blessed with people that believed in my skills to be able to help them. Um, and I think that belief is um, something that um, I now have in the people that work with me. Now, of course, uh, running a business and being a, a leader involves uh, dealing with people. And uh, people yep. aren't always at their best. Sometimes they, uh, they don't get on with each other or they're not performing as they should. How do you handle conflict within the workplace? I think that um, conflict is inevitable and there is good conflict and there is bad conflict. So I guess the way to manage conflict is is really about um, listening, um, listening to another point of view because people see things from their point of view. Listen, hear their point of view, listen to their reasoning before you put your case. So listening first before you put your case forward because okay. then you're saying to them, I hear you. And I think if you can say to someone, I hear you, that immediately dissipates the anger because don't forget, you know, it's an emotional thing as well. And um, conflict is really, uh, you know, conflict is one of the things that, that promotes um, innovation, um, challenges your thinking. Um, it can jettison you into another path. I mean, it's so many good things come out of conflict. But of course, the bad things are when they affect relationships, the detriment of everyone around you because it's infectious. You know, and what you want to do in, in a, with a, as you're, if you're a leader and, and working with people is making everyone feel that they have a voice and there will be a win-win. So I think mediation in the face of conflict is really where it's at. Now, of course, your the, question. <laughs> it does. Absolutely. Leadership comes in all different sorts of veins and different sorts of styles. But if I was to nail you down to just one individual, the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? That's a tough one, isn't it, really? I know. Um, I guess I would have to say, typically, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, um, certainly Anita Roddick um, of The Body Shop because she was immensely powerful in my life, particularly. Um, and also Rami Ranger, 
also all the work that he's been doing with the Asian family business community has been brilliant. Charlie Mullins, who has, has been the person that sort of, you know, changed the hairy-ass plumber into a world-class organisation. Women in particular, then Stephanie Shirley, Helen Thomas from Western Cider, and Judy Bell from Shepherd's Purse Cheese. I mean, these are all brilliant women that are in business. And also they came at it from a very personal perspective. They came from nothing and became something. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, they, but they, they did more than ran businesses. They inspired people. You know, I'm a woman in business and there aren't many of us. You know? And uh, so I'm always, always taken with, with, with women that I, I hugely respect. Um, that uh, just by grit and um, imagination and flair and fabulousness have really inspired me. And I know them personally. The most important thing is I know these people personally. And that makes a big difference to me. It's not, not that I read about them in a book somewhere. You know, these are people that are, I think are great that have affected my life. And, and also you- my daughters. My daughters are amazingly inspiring to me every day and, and they're the next generation and I think that's a sea change now for leaders to actually recognise the next generation are there to inspire you and um, and you know so I think that's a massive sea change sea change in leadership you know upward mentoring um, particularly in family business it's the most important part of any family business the next generation now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for Family Business Place? Well, the next 12 months are very exciting because we have um, begun our membership on, on a platform. So that's really jettisoned our particular way of doing business and increasing our membership in a very, very modern way. Um, it also means that my daughter... Um, is now the new MD. So she's taken the business to another level and she's making her mark in it. For me, it's to encourage and inspire family businesses that now with Brexit, family business um, are the backbone of the UK economy. It's our time to flourish. There are 4.8 million of us in this country. We employ 50% of the workforce and we contribute 1.8 trillion to the UK economy. So, Family businesses, it's our time. It's a brilliant time. Um, I'm full of optimism, and um, and I know that we will all pull together to make you know the country um, a huge success in the way that it's meant to be. Given that we're now in a different era. Well, Anita, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing <laughs> leadership with you. And I very much hope that you come back on the program at some point in the near future so we can discuss the uh, the issues facing uh, small business. Uh, Anita, thank Absolutely. you. Thank you, Matthew. That was Anita Brightly Hodges, founder and chairman of Family Business Place. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex 
uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you, you're very... Fortunate, I think you, you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course a, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at. West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came 
and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially on South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. he, in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. 
And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, Al. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that I'll show you, you got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, to just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, someone at the back who, 
who asked the question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but. There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other in the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck that's absolutely leadership he'd be the best example of course in in football terms today Uh, easily easily and of course going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson who's just absolutely Mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. The wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team, the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, um, 
thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.